0: Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen, and I'm Lauren Evans,
1: and I'm Kristen Ickemur.
0: It is Teacher Appreciation Week, so all of our teachers listening know that we recognize the fact you do not have easy jobs, and arguably you have some of the most important jobs in our country. And I think like anytime I talk, uh, it doesn't really matter what age someone is, whether it's a young person older, if you get them going about their teachers and their school experience, everybody has that one teacher that said the thing or went the extra mile and somehow significantly changed their life, um, or they have the teacher who uh, put up with them <laughs> <laughs> because they were a bit of a problem in school, and maybe a little bit of both. Do you all have teachers that, that you still to this day think about the impact that they had on your life? Should have reflected more.
2: <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I Virginia, I was not a very um, school-oriented person growing up. I think my teachers <laughs> really uh, just barely tolerated me. <laughs> I think uh, I would have to say my, my own mother, since she is a school teacher. Oh, um, And that works because it's Mother's Day this weekend. Oh, yeah, see? Double. You're welcome, Mom. <laughs> that is serious. Uh terrifying. No, uh, I mean, I had some great teachers. I, I loved growing up in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. It, it was just a different kind of people down mm-hmm. there. So I think about the women um, primarily being teachers who kind of shaped me. And they, they were, you know, problematic in their own right. Um, but I don't know if there's just one that sticks out. Mm.
0: I had a math teacher named Mrs. Massey. Math was really hard for me as a kid, Mm. and I got pretty behind in math. And so there was one summer, it was a summer between eighth and ninth grade, and Mrs. Massey tutored me every week in math and got me caught up with my classmates and then made Algebra 1 so fun. And that Mm. was the first time I had ever actually enjoyed math was because of Mrs. Massey and her kindness. So, Mrs. Massey, you're probably not listening, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that her name is Massey, too, and she's teaching
1: about, that, you know, all yeah. of that. That's super cute. I think for me, um, growing up, there was—I'm from Illinois, but I feel as though the town I was in very much had Texas high school energy, where um, we just were so proud to go to our school. I went to Niqua Valley High School, which is in Naperville, Illinois. We have egos as big as, you know, as big as Texas, basically— But the principal there just did the best job of creating an environment where people wanted to learn. There was no pushing of a social agenda. It was just, we're here, we're going to help you through these subjects, and we're going to get you to the place that you want to go to next after graduation. And I just, I think that's really cool because that is the purpose of school. So yeah. very lucky to be in that environment. And there were plenty of teachers. I had a chemistry teacher, Mr. Agusa, that helped me. But um, similar to you, chemistry is hard and I
0: almost <laughs> failed. <laughs> but yeah. he, he helped me out. <laughs> so we're good. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, where would we be without our teachers? Thank you so much to all of our teachers. Happy Teacher Appreciation Week. But we have a full show to get to today. Lauren, when do we have queued up?
2: Up on today's problematic women title 42 ends today we tell you what it is and why its ending is expected to cause mass chaos at the southern border and the Biden admin openly pushes to increase production of electric vehicles the reasoning will get it shock you and Tucker Carlson surprises us (laughs) with the debut of this new show now streaming on Twitter what does this mean for the future of cable television. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week.
0: Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find the stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left.
2: If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving your review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encourage others to subscribe. It really does make a difference.
0: All right, let's get to it. So the first time I ever went to the southern border, I think my biggest takeaway after that trip was for all intents and purposes, we really don't have a southern border. And I wrote an article saying as much. And I think you hear in the news and you see the pictures and the images of individuals crossing the border. But when you're actually down there and you see it, you realize – oh, this is like a well-oiled machine where illegal aliens are crossing often in in mass. They're picked up by Border Patrol. They're processed. And it happens every day, all day long on the southern border. Uh, And our poor Border Patrol agents are, you know, they do their best, but really their hands are tied because of the current administration and the limitations that have been put on them to where they really actually can't enforce the law. They can't do their jobs. I've stood with Border Patrol agents that have told me we just want to be able to do our jobs. Well, there has been a policy in place known as Title 42. That's essentially, I think the best way to describe it is like the last line of defense to have some form of control at the southern border. So during the COVID-19 pandemic, something called Title 42 was put in place. It's a public health measure that has allowed Border Patrol to quickly expel illegal aliens uh, from some illegal aliens from the Southern border, not all, but some. And that policy ends today. So when it ends, we're expected to see rapid, rapid, we've already been seeing it that this week there's been increases, but that's just expected to rapidly increase even more to where we'll likely be seeing projections of about 13,000 illegal aliens a day crossing the border. Uh, If you do the math out, that's 390,000 a month. That's more than the population of Cleveland coming across our border every single month. And I mean, you just, the numbers are (laughs) a little hard to wrap your your brain around. Uh, Already just in this fiscal year, which started in October, we've had 1.2 million encounters, 1.2 million people have come to our southern border. If you've Go back to the year 2020, the final year of the Trump administration, the final fiscal year, uh, there were less than 560,000 encounters. And already this year, we've had 1.2 million encounters. So things are are changing rapidly. And right now, honestly, it's sort of bracing to see what is going to happen at the southern border. Uh, But everyone, both Republicans and Democrats, While they have very different views on what should happen next, everyone agrees that the situation is uh, not sustainable. There's just a lot of different opinions on uh, what should happen in order to fix the issue uh, or uh, quote unquote fix the issue because the Biden administration has not actually put forward legitimate solutions to fix it, but uh, you know, I I think when you look at the Biden administration's handling of the southern border, I have to say there's really only two options here: either the Biden administration is embarrassed, they don't want to admit that rolling back all of the Trump administration policies on the border was the wrong thing to do, and so they're just sort of like, all right, well, we've made our bed, so we're going to lie in it, or it's intentional. They're intentionally allowing literally hundreds of thousands of people to come into our country illegally.
2: And I don't see any other options. Do you all? Oh, yeah. It's 100% intentional. Uh, I've been to the border before. Biden was president back when we had President Trump, and they were they're building the wall. And that border trip was completely different than any border trip that I've been on afterwards, mm. where it was like they're taking down the wall, right? They mm. are not only— physically taking down barriers I mean that they ended up stopping doing that because even the Biden admin realized that stopping wall construction was a bad <laughs> mm-hmm. idea um, but they're they're doing everything that they can to just let open immigration come into our country mm-hmm. while trying to gaslight the American people that they're they're doing what they can they say like it, immigration is down like 90 percent or something and that's a complete lie right they're, they're just saying, that people are now coming through ports of entry, and they're not counting that as people coming in illegally, but they are still coming in yeah, illegally. Yeah, those people
0: are still paroled into the country. They're still landing in cities like New York and Chicago and sleeping on the streets and, you know, causing – causing issues and it it just the numbers aren't sustainable. We are a nation of immigrants and that is beautiful. These numbers are not sustainable and what these individuals are doing is breaking the law.
1: And I think what's important too is we are a nation of immigrants that immigrated here legally Legally. and were processed (laughs) and went through the proper procedures to become an American citizen. Um, One thing I will also point out is states have been you know, they have felt empowered by their citizens. They're listening to their constituents and they're creating really amazing solutions in Arizona. We saw them using the the trucking shipment containers to build a physical wall because the Trump administration, you know, they empowered and like really made citizens aware of the need to create that physical barrier. So I think what's really important here is that a lot of voters out there are okay with this. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the polling looks like. But the fact of the matter is there are creative solutions that don't cost as much money. We've also got the, the funding for the wall. We pretty much completed that whole process of funding during the Trump administration. We're literally just moving backwards. And for what? Because we want to seem all inclusive. What exactly is the narrative here? Because it just seems like a discombobulated mess and excuses from the Biden administration.
0: Well, it is that. It is a discombobulated mess. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and I want to speak to a very probably sizable group of problematic women audience uh, who really um I think feels a lot of sympathy and empathy for these folks and that, mm-hmm. that you know we were we are so blessed to be born in America and yeah. have the privileges that come with American citizens. And you look at these people and you really do want the best. And I mean, totally. Our Christian heart should want to help as many people as possible. But this is as bad as it is for America, this is worse for these people who are migrating into our country. Mm-hmm. There are 85,000 migrant children who have entered the United States that our government doesn't know where they are. They mm-hmm. are just mi- missing in the system. Um, there are estimates that up to 60 percent of some of these women and children who are coming into our the country illegally uh, are um, being raped, being blackmailed into pornography by the court cartels. This is really bad things that are happening, and they're being promised one thing um, on one end, and then they they're extorted, and then they come to America. and I don't think a lot of them even understand how they're breaking our laws because the cartel is really brainwashing them, and they're they're extorting these people, and it's a big business, and that is why it's kind of the Biden administration letting this happen is is not only disingenuous to the American people, but it really harms the people that they're claiming to help the most.
1: Yeah, you'd think that this would be, if any other administration that was conservative was in charge, you'd see the New York Times or other, you know, not so friendly outlets saying that this is a crime against humanity. We saw Mayorkas during his testimony literally say he didn't know what the wristbands were. Um, And for those of you not aware, the the cartels use wristbands to keep track of the people that... um, largely you know are traveling with them and so it's just there is an understanding there there's a lot of i'm not going to answer these questions because i know the truth and you can't handle it but (laughs) it's just pretty sad and i think something else we have some uh some colleagues down at the border right now and they actually went through a briefing and one thing that our security officer here at heritage said is You have to be careful about like your own safety, but also your your health, because a lot of these people Mm. have been traveling for weeks, months, and they're just not clean, you know, and you're going to get sick and they have some serious respiratory diseases that they're dealing with. And there's that scary factor to it when you go down to the border. But there's also you have to be careful about who you talk to. And I'm sure, Virginia, you can relate because you don't know who you're talking to. Are they being trafficked? Are they, Mm. you know, are you going to be attacked because a cartel member sees you as a threat to their business? Because that's Mm, what it mm -hmm. is at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. It is a business Mm -hmm. that they are funding and and it's disgusting. And it is terrible that the Biden administration won't even answer questions on this or take accountability because at the end of the day, we had solutions in place and Republicans continue to offer solutions. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is like,
2: hey, it's okay, don't look over here. We're fine, Mm. we're fine. The Biden administration is actually too busy on focusing on quote-unquote junk fees for airlines. Like, <laughs> you know, like,
0: those dang <laughs> deals. Yeah, like, where where are their priorities? Their priorities lie in trying to get quick wins right yeah, now. yeah, And that's they, it, and they, not actually address the major yeah, issues. Yeah, they,
2: they think that by telling Americans, like, oh, we're helping you, like, no, I can go on kayak right now, find a $90 flight, <laughs> you know, like, no problem. It's not top of my <laughs> list right now, but
0: no. thank you for your concern. Well, speaking 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 of of solutions and trying to address the the problem at its core, so uh, Republicans in the House, they have put forward uh, a package that they are going to be voting on today. It's a bill... That addresses a lot of the situation at the border. It includes things like restarting construction on the border wall, ending catch and release, uh, additional resources to support Border Patrol agents, local law enforcement, increasing technology. We actually have a ton of technology already at our southern border that's literally just not plugged in. Like someone just needs, the Biden administration just needs to plug it in, but has refused to do so. So um, this is really a, a pretty broad uh, plan that includes so many, so many factors to be able to address what's happening at our southern border, address the crisis. This bill is expected to pass in the House. Uh, I did an interview earlier this week with Senator Rick Scott of Florida, and he said that his best guess is, is that this bill won't even be taken up in the Senate because Democrats control the Senate. And even if they did take it up, President Joe Biden, the White House, has already said that Biden will veto it. So unfortunately, it looks like this bill is dead on arrival. But as as responsible lawmakers, I'm still glad to see that Republicans are putting forward a plan, I, I think for two reasons. For one, uh, when when we have elections, when things change, they need to be ready to implement plans right away. So it's good to have things prepped. But then I think it also allows the American people to see where their lawmakers stand, that you have individuals who are putting forward solutions and then you have others who won't even consider those solutions and it draws a very clear distinction, I think, lets the American people really choose for
2: themselves. And, I mean, hopefully that the election in 2024 will, I think, be a lesson for these Democrats, right? That that these putting American citizens in danger is going to come back and kick them in the behind. And the, the Republicans are, are showing that when we can pass something like this, we are not going to just – throw some money at a border wall, we are going to have serious reforms. And I think the American people really do appreciate that. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, we have a couple other topics to get to today, including uh, some other activity from the Biden administration that uh, is not not super popular with many Americans. And we're going to explain why. But if you are enjoying this episode of Problematic Women and you're searching for other like-minded podcasts, then look no further than Students Over Systems. It's a new podcast production of the Independent Women's Forum. And every other Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, host Ginny Gentles is joined by parents and policymakers to discuss school choice and parental rights. Students Over Systems charts a path to a brighter future by featuring the voices of of the creators, advocates, and beneficiaries of education freedom. And if you can't wait for that new episode to drop, then you can listen to past episodes at iwf.org, or you can just search for Students Over Systems podcast in your favorite podcast app. Biden's
1: Environmental Protection Agency announced its toughest auto emissions limit yet in a rule that would ban most new cars and trucks that don't run on batteries. The rule would require as much as 67 percent of all new vehicles sold in the U.S. to be all electric by 2032. The Biden administration touts that this new rule will lower costs of vehicles while avoiding nearly 10 billion tons of carbon emissions through 2055, a figure that CNBC explains is twice the total of U.S. carbon emissions in 2022. For those of you doing the math, that's only a 434 million ton of carbon emission drop per year. Still, there are many factors at play in this shift to electric vehicles. For one, the difference in price. Currently, a 2023 Ford F-Series truck starts at a price of uh, around $35,000, while the electric F-150 Lightning starts at around sixty-one, dollars almost $62,000. A Tesla Model 3 can go for anything around $43,000 as a starting price compared to a 2023 Toyota Camry's price point of around 27000 Average Americans just can't afford this price difference. In fact, a 2022 Kelley Blue Book report even showed that EV sales account for only 5.8% of all new vehicles sold. And that's up from 3.1% the year before. So these are largely not... a. a great share of the market right now. And and it's going to be a huge shift to go from 5.8% to nearly 67. I mean, that's literally 60% that we're trying to increase it by um, for all new car sales. And while it's nice to hear that these cars are saving the environment, one thing the Biden administration doesn't tell you is the amount of carbon emissions it takes to produce each of these batteries. I dug a little deeper and found a 2022 study from MIT where they found that it takes anywhere between 2.6 and 16 metric tons of carbon dioxide to produce the lithium ion batteries commonly found in Tesla Model 3s. Elon Musk has done a really great job scientifically to reduce carbon emissions. Like I, I will applaud his you know, ability and commitment to to trying to lower carbon emissions um, through the creation of these batteries. But a lot of other companies, especially the big ones, are not taking the same precautions and are not as committed. Um, so it, it really, it, I'm not entirely sure what other battery production looks like, but it, it can range from anywhere from 2.6 to 16 or even more. They just don't have the numbers yet. So the report goes on to further explain other factors like the power grid used to recharge vehicles also contributing to these carbon emissions, and that's much greater than the uh, carbon emissions that we see from the, the battery production, and that's a continual use that we will see because you need to plug in your battery and you need to recharge it. So. It's hard to say what the exact outcome looks like for this hotly contested rule should it go into effect. But as a self-proclaimed car guy, according to the White House, you would think that Biden would realize it takes a lot more to structurally change the American automotive environment than just a regulation. Like Americans are not going to give up their most prized possessions, which in many cases is their car, just to, you know, switch to a more energy efficient. just unrealistic. That's consumer behavior that, you know, an economist would even support. Now, the retort we're hearing from the White House for the the high cost of these cars and just the lack of consumer interest is that they will be providing $9.7 billion in subsidies used to help counter the higher cost of these cars and just to get Americans more interested and more used to seeing these electric vehicles on the road. Kind of difficult to, you know, understand how that might impact the market because it is, I mean, economics in theory is easy to work out. We just move our lines. We we change the price and and all of that. But in theory, this is a huge shift. Like I said, we're going from about 5% of the market to 60% of the market in just a few years. I think it's only only 10 years away that they're hoping to do this. And it's going to be difficult, I think, for Americans to truly adopt the "I'm driving an electric car" because of the freedom that's taken away with, you know, you need to connect with a charging station and all of that. But what do you all think? Would you make that jump um, to to electric given the subsidies? I think it's around seven or eight thousand dollars per person for the purchase of an electric vehicle.
0: You know, I have no problem with anyone who wants to drive an electric car. I just don't want to be told that I have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I I will pick which car, and <laughs> since I'm cheap, I will probably pick it based on price point. So, uh, if if it's a if it's a good car that'll run well, that can uh, can get me from A to B safely, and it's. It's the best price point, whether that's electric or, or gas, I'll consider buying the car, but it needs to be as the consumer, that's my choice. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, the, the power and the beauty of economic freedom is put the options out there and may the best one win. Like free markets is survival of the fittest. So if electric cars really are better, You know, it it might take 50 years, but eventually the American people will see that and they'll start buying them. If it's the best product on the market, it will be consumed. If it's affordable, it will be consumed. Government, stay out of it.
2: Well, and get this, like everybody's been here. You, it's 8.15, you have a hour drive to work, you're out of gas, and what do you do? You quickly stop in the gas station and it takes like five or ten minutes and you're five or ten minutes late and you show up to a meeting and you say, I'm sorry, I'm five or ten minutes late. You I blame need... it on traffic. Yeah, you blame it on traffic. <laughs> that happens, right? No big deal. Imagine if you wake up and you realize that like you're, and this has happened all the time with your phone, like your phone wasn't completely plugged in and your phone's dead when you wake up. Yeah, it's the worst. Imagine if your car wasn't charging and you have to wait there for 45 minutes to an hour and a half for your car to charge. Yeah. What are you going to do? What if you, what if you're, somebody in your house is choking or or what if somebody in your house is injured and you have to get to the hospital and your car isn't charged Mm -hmm. there are so many things that these electric cars and and we're only thinking too for people who live in cities right like Mm -hmm. people in dc this electric car would be great in dc you know i i travel eight miles to work every day i mean probably only have to charge my car once a week and the weather doesn't get that cold but if you live out in the western side of the united states batteries do not work as well in cold weather. That is mm-hmm. why I'm sure most people realize that their phone, when it's cold, dies faster. They don't know why. Uh, it has something to do with electrons. I'm not that smart. <laughs> but it does have to do, like, when you, batteries do not work as well in cold weather. So also those states, very large. So these batteries already don't work as well. There's not as much of a population density where it makes sense to put in these chargers. And so they're they're forcing this one-size fits all solution, I mean, I think of my sister down in rural Georgia. It does not make sense for her to have an electric vehicle in her driveway. She has to drive long distances to get to the store. She'd be charging her car every other day. so I really think this is again the biden administration doing something to please a very small, very rich portion of the society and forgetting about the everyday American mm-hmm. and really forgetting about the really making America what it was of if you just let people. You, you identify the problem, American citizens will find the solution and will want the best for our country in the mm-hmm. long run. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important, too. It, it really is a a rule that is targeting, you know, those that are, that are wealthier, that can actually afford these cars. Um, Travis Fisher from the Heritage Foundation recently wrote a piece where he explains, one of the reasons, actually, also I brought up the prices, he explains that The difference in price actually would allow Americans to buy a luxury car um, if they spent the same amount on a, a regular gasoline car. So instead of a Tesla, you could get a nice Audi or a Porsche like that's that's the difference. And I mean, there are attempts to make electric vehicles more affordable, but a recent poll actually showed that seventy nine percent of the electric vehicle tax credits claimed were by households earning over one hundred thousand dollars annually in gross domestic income that 's not an average household income i 'm not exactly sure off the top of my head i think it 's seventy something but That's absolutely ridiculous that they're getting it. It makes sense because they're the ones that are actually able to afford those quote unquote luxury cars or in this case electric cars, which at the end of the day should just be considered luxury cars um, because they're of their price point. But I think to your point, too, growing up in the Midwest, it was so difficult for me to go home sometimes because I couldn't spend, you know, it wouldn't be a five minute trip to the grocery store. It would be Mm -hmm. closer to 15 or 20. And I was going through cornfields where there wasn't Mm -hmm. much, you know like yep. built up and I'm imagining you know the f Ford lightning uh truck you know trying to plow something or bring something through a field oh like gosh. what if it just craps out on you, you know, or in the middle of the winter, like it gets really cold. I survived the apocalypse in Illinois <laughs> back in 2014. And it was horrible. Would my if my car didn't start and I had to just sit in in that like my car, I would have cried. I would have called my mom, my battery probably would have been dead in my phone because of how cold it was. And I I would have been stranded. So I think there's a lot that the Biden administration sitting in Washington, D.C., where there's a Tesla in city center. There's EV stations at every big major apartment complex. And in some cases, I don't think Heritage has EV charging stations, but I've seen some in other shopping centers. Um, My boyfriend actually has one in his apartment complex, too. So they're very readily available here in D.C., but... Go out to Illinois, go out to, you know, Idaho, Nebraska, and I don't think that you could stop at your local bar and also charge up your your um, car. And to your point, too, 40 minutes to an hour, there was a company that I worked with while at NASA. I worked with a lot of entrepreneurs that was trying to make money by providing services to people that were waiting on their car to be done charging and it looked kind of like an uber it's <laughs> actually
0: smart it's
1: super smart because the biden administration wants us to have 67 percent electric vehicles new vehicles um but yeah no i just i think that this is lining the pockets of the rich it's really out of touch with everyday americans and kind of like the border issue i hope that they see that and they take that to the ballot box in 2024
2: but that's the point the point is that the people out in america don't matter to these elitist Democrats, right? They don't matter. They are they are deplorables. They are they will figure out. I I am better. I know better, and these people will be forced to figure it out.
1: Yeah. Last point, really quick, is how China benefits from all of this because I was telling Virginia about the story yesterday. There's um, a graph that Travis Fisher actually also tweeted, <laughs> um, and it kind of shows how U.S. Uh, Carbon emission compares to um, that of China or India and other a few other countries. And what you see is the US actually started pretty low. And from there, you know, went up and down fluctuated a little bit as you know, times have changed. and this is starting in the 1980s, but China has just continued to increase. And that is largely because they are mining resources to create these lithium ion batteries, to create solar panels, to create all these, quote unquote, clean energy systems. Yet they're contributing more carbon emissions than the U.S. by, like, I don't even know how much, but the the graph, we'll post it on Problematic Women's Instagram. It is significantly higher than the United States, and so is India's. And that is because they're not following, you know, the U.N.'s climate agenda. And they don't really care about the impacts because at the end of the day, money pays more than climate change, you know. And mm-hmm. clean climate, the Green New Deal is really just, you know, giving green to China. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's difficult to see um but that's kind of the state of our electric vehicles. Again, not hating on anyone that uses them. I think Teslas are awesome. Yeah. But You drive one. Live your best life. But don't drive force us. Yeah. I love my Jeep Cherokee, and I will continue to drive it until I run it into the ground.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the thing. Let people choose. So speaking of choices and giving Americans choices, many Americans are choosing not to watch cable news anymore. We have seen that trend for a while, but especially they're choosing not to watch Fox News at 8 p.m. That's Tucker Carlson's old slot. Tucker Carlson's show was, of course, recently canceled on Fox News. We talked about that a couple weeks ago here on the show and how it was so wild that he spoke at the Heritage Foundation gala and we heard him speak. That was Friday night. And then on Monday morning, we learned that his show has been canceled. And uh, everyone was just so shocked because Tucker Carlson's show has been the most popular on Fox News for a long time and really, really helped their ratings. Well, now we've heard that ratings are down by uh, by about 50% in that 8 p.m. hour. But everyone has been asking, what is Tucker Carlson going to do now? Where is he going to host his show? Is he going to join a new outlet? Well, we learned on Tuesday he's not joining a new outlet. He's hosting his show on Twitter, Let's take uh, a listen to a little bit of his announcement.
2: You can't have a free society if people aren't allowed to say what they think is true. Speech is the fundamental prerequisite for democracy. That's why it's enshrined in the first of our constitutional amendments. Amazingly, as of tonight, there aren't many platforms left that allow free speech. The last big one remaining in the world, the only one, is Twitter.
0: So I was fascinated by the fact that he chose Twitter. Some people predicted this and saw it coming. And we actually had a piece in the Daily Signal predicting this, that he would choose Twitter. I was personally surprised because a lot of his audience is uh, is boomers. And I know that not tons of boomers are necessarily on Twitter. Uh, there's about, uh, according to Pew Research, about one in five Americans are are active users on Twitter. But I don't know, maybe uh, maybe now a bunch of individuals are going to join Twitter, but I'm not sure. What do you all think? So my parents love Tucker Carlson. They love yes. him so much. Mine as well.
1: I don't think that they're going to make a Twitter, but I mean, you don't necessarily need one to watch the show. True. So I could definitely see... My parents, you know, going on Twitter, being like, all right, it's 8 p.m., might as well turn Tucker on and and putting it on, you know, their smart TV or something and having largely the same effect of if it was on Fox. This is just, you know, more free. They don't have to pay for Fox Nation now Mm -hmm. and they can happily, you know, listen to his commentary and his, you know, fun voices.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess for me, so I I would not call myself a Fox News viewer, but I will say I probably watch Fox like... All day every day <laughs> oh, like, <laughs> it's on the tvs it's just in the background of our lives <laughs> and i would admit a lot of times i would get home and it would be like 7 30 and i'd be like well i don't really want to sit and watch a show i want to like you know do stuff around my house and i turned on tucker right and that yeah. was just like what i did in the evenings is something just kind of what's it on and I'll, I'll watch it for a little bit interested especially on days when like news is breaking I've not thought once since Tucker was let go from Fox that I should turn it on when I get home from from work. Um, And I even know some of our colleagues here at the Heritage Foundation have chosen to watch another channel uh, because of this, which I I definitely support. And um, I'm really excited. I think what... um, it's cool about this. So Elon uh, Musk, when he bought Twitter, he really implemented something called community notes, right? And that's something – and it's funny because people keep adding community notes to Randy Weingartner when she lies <laughs> <laughs> and she hates it. And it just makes the people more excited to add community notes. <laughs> so, uh, But it basically it allows a group of people to come together, kind of like Wikipedia, right, where mm. um, somebody says something incorrect, people band together, correct the narrative, and then people can vote. Is this correction? Real or fake. And so sometimes these community notes do get taken down. Sometimes they stay up. And basically what Elon said in response to this is that this is awesome. I want more people to to be like, Tucker, bring your show on. Mm-hmm. People from the left, people from the right. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to make community notes available for these live shows. So not only will Tucker be able to have a platform to say what he wants to say, people will also be able to retort against, so you know, interesting. Some, some things. And I think... It's very interactive. It's very interactive. And I think that's what we're missing, right? So when you watch Fox or when you watch MSNBC, it's like, okay, here's here's one perspective, right? Um, and so this allows people to get their perspective, listen to friendly news, while also getting that context and get, understanding your fellow American. Um, and I, I, Kristen, I get what you're saying, that your parents aren't going to log on to Twitter. But A, number one, I think they might. And make sure when they do, you... They They'll make sure the Heritage Foundation, the Heritage don't, Foundation. don't worry. <laughs> and if you're listening right now and you're not following the Heritage Foundation on Twitter, make sure you do so. <laughs> but I also will think that um, Elon and probably working with people, someone like Tucker will make Twitter e- more easily accessible for kind of the average American. Whether that's a Roku app, rather, whether mm. that is um, some sort of way where you don't necessarily have to be logged in to watch, but you're really... Push to, I mean, think about YouTube. You don't have to have a YouTube account to watch YouTube. Yeah. But most of the time, once people get on there, they want to, like, join the conversation. So uh, my guess is that Tucker has such a um, committed audience, and you, and you it, literally that video came out. And within like twenty minutes, it had like over a million views. It was insane. Yeah. It was
0: insane. I was like, "Wow, <laughs> man, that's a model. Yeah, that's a goal to reach for here at the Daily Signal. That we're gonna have that kind of. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think
1: what's important to remember is he is his own brand, which is mm. so cool, you know. Yeah, he and is. what is also amazing about this is we are in a time, and let's let's just go to the message that he kind of was saying on this Twitter video from from uh, Tuesday. He. Basically comes out and says, you know, a lot of people are saying the news lies and it doesn't, but it doesn't necessarily tell the truth entirely. You know, he he actually says that the news is a lie of the stealthiest. And mm. that's because, you know, when you give half of the story, I think he uses the example of someone getting arrested. And if they're unrightfully convicted, you can say that while totally ignoring the history of having a criminal record or, you know, committing the same crimes five times previously that were exactly the same. And I I think it's really that is such an important thing to point out, because when I was working at NASA, I worked a lot with the press and I saw how they manipulated what the administrator of NASA, again, why are we making space politically driven? Why are we making it a partisan issue? I don't know why, but I would see how they would take, you know, a five sentence paragraph that a leader in the Trump administration would say and parse it down to one sentence to make them look either politically motivated like a liar, like they don't know what they're talking about. And that has been the model of news nowadays. It's all about what does the consumer want? And sadly, a lot of consumers that consume the news want to hear that Trump is not, you know, a good guy and that, you know, other political figures that they don't like are not good and should be indicted for whatever reason. I listened to Politico Playbook this morning and I have a really good friend that works there. And I texted her after, and I was like, the debt ceiling's going on, Title 42's going on, we have all of these issues right now, and you guys are focused on Trump's, like, sexual assault allegations? Why? I don't care. I don't care anymore about that. Let's move on. And unfortunately, I'm not the largest share of the market, and we're just going to continue to see, you know, this business model until you know, influencers and brands like Tucker Carlson come and bring us to different platforms where they're not restricted and they're not told what to say and what they can't say. And I'm really excited for this. Um, I will say, love Kaylee McEnany. She was on last night. I didn't watch her, but I hope she did well because she is also a truth seeker. And I, I just, I do wish some reporters well in general.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, I think the question that I have with all of this is have have we just witnessed the death of cable news it's been going out but did did tiger carlson just officially give it the final blow and this could be the the real beginning of the end
1: yeah but i think we talked about this last week too with the the late night show individuals and i think what's cool is we're going to see a make it or break it moment for all of these people. Like they've largely relied on these platforms and now, you know, Tucker's embracing his inner influencer self. He's not, you know, necessarily doing get ready with me videos, but he is, you know, taking us along for the journey that is him, you know, like becoming more independent and, The late night show people haven't really been doing that. So maybe we'll
0: see a shift, too, in real reporter integrity. And I'm very excited for that. Mm, That would be great. Well, stay with us, because up next, we crown our problematic woman of the week. And I'll
2: never forget just being fearful for my life.
0: Lightning
1: phone calls, emails, protests outside
2: the shop. I remember sleeping on the floor of my bedroom. Seeing the headlights driving by, just wondering if someone was going to carry out on some of the threats that I had seen in emails. Here I am on this journey, hopefully to protect not only my right to speak freely, but everyone's right to do just the same.
1: You've just listened to a sneak peek from our brand new documentary about Lori Smith. She's a web designer who the state of Colorado wants to force into creating LGBTQ websites and other content that directly violates her beliefs. We spoke with her and with Christian Baker Jack Phillips about their cases and about what's at stake for the First Amendment. You can find the documentary on The Daily Signal's YouTube channel or in the show notes for this episode. Now, it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Alicia Acuna. Alicia Acuna and all mothers out there get a special shout out this week. Alicia is a Fox News reporter who was reporting live on a shooting at Denver East High School where her son actually attended. And I just remember seeing this in real time. She paused on air to hug and comfort her son following the shooting. It was a beautiful moment and it really just I still get chills watching it. But let's let's check it out.
2: Excuse me. My son just came up and I had not seen him come up come up here um so i'm sorry i've not seen my kid since oh, this all went least, down yeah. so hey, just real just really so- i'm so sorry i'm so sorry oh. okay. I-, I just finishing this real quick okay? Okay. okay 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 are you good okay i'm so sorry i just Uh-oh. there's no way you would have let
1: your kid walk by you see if you need so, to step um, aside please do <laughs> so okay okay he's okay he's good you good okay he's good so sweet. I know you want
0: to cry. This mom is recognizing the weight of the situation that there's just been a shooting and her child survived. Yeah, and she's right. How could you not stop and and give them a hug, even if it was live television? Like, so what? Yeah, you no, hug your child. And I mean, she was
1: on Fox News New York. You know, like she was on the big screen with I don't remember who the show was at the time, but they, you know, were standing at the desk, millions of viewers, and in that moment, she knew at the end of the day, you know. Job, important. Family, God, way more important. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that's a beautiful testimony to what mothers everywhere are like. I'm so blessed to have a mom that will put me first always. She'll drive up from Atlanta or Chicago or Florida or wherever she is to come visit me if I'm having a bad day. She'll come stay with me. She'll drive to do the same for my siblings. So, so blessed. And yeah, so just to to mothers everywhere.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and we hope all of our moms... Have a wonderful Mother's Day. Um, I Unfortunately, I'm not going to be with my mom this Mother's Day, but it's it really is, I think, such a gift. And I love the fact that we live in a country where we do have a day where we get to step back and just be thankful for the role that moms play. And, man, talk about... A thankless job, often for so so many years. Uh, you know, when when you're a little kid, you don't necessarily realize all of the sacrifices that our moms make for us. But as an adult, I've stepped back and just realized, wow, my mom laid down so much for my sister and I, and it's just kind of incredible to realize that and you realize the weight of it. And I think there's such a profound beauty within that that really can't be put into words. So for all of our moms out there, thank you and happy Mother's Day. But with that, that's going to do it for today's edition of Problematic Women.
1: Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share.
0: As conservatives, we need your support in the podcast world. So if you would take just a moment, leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you like to listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, or on all the platforms. So let us know what you think about the show. Have a great week.
2: Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation.
0: It is a product of the Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram.
2: We produce problematic women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.